Hey everyone, just a quick heads up before this episode starts. We recorded this um, a couple of different times in a couple of different sessions uh, because of just how much fun we were having. We were going so far over how much time everybody had at each individual session and uh, we were recording a couple of episodes in between that. Um, so just if you're a real continuity stickler, um, there's just kind of, it's going to be a little bit all over the place here. I don't know, make a CinemaSins episode about it uh, or consider it a tie-in to the new season of Cinemakers starring me and also Joey and Mike about Christopher Nolan. Uh, and this is just our tribute to non-linear chronological storytelling. Uh, okay, here's a podcast. We play this song on the radio. We play this song on the radio. I did listen to Keith Urban's Making Memories of Us, um, but I, I took very little away from it, other than this is definitely a song that is not for me. And I would take this over some of the pop country artists that are going to be very gimmicky that are coming up, like the ones who think they're fucking funny. Um, I'd rather have this. And I completely understand why, like, every white suburban 50-year-old mom has a huge wet on for Keith Urban. Like, totally get it. Just I acknowledge it is not for me. Do you have any relationship with Keith Urban, uh, Jonah? Uh, no, country is my least favorite genre of music, so I tend to stay far away from it as possible. The only exception to that being Black Horse Cherry Tree, even if you if you even count that as a country song. I don't. I count it as a modern rock single from a unique voice. You're freed of that curse. Okay. Um, I think I think I think many things. Keith Urban is uh, one of those guys who I think does a good job. Kind of, in, he's the one who's married to Nicole Kidman, right? Sure is. Yes. I don't think he makes any secrets of the fact that he's married to Nicole Kidman. You mean like through his music? I don't think that Keith Urban, as a person, appears on magazine covers and is like, "This is my real life on the ranch." I think Keith ah, Urban appears on Hollywood Squares. My 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 most interesting thing about him is that is how well he's adapted to the kind of um, the suburban mom. Desperate Housewives Nashville sound, despite being like initially being an Australian like cokehead rock guy. Um, I think that transition is kind of kind of stunning, and I guess he's he's done it about as well as possible. I guess I don't begrudge him in in all of the ways that I begrudge someone like a Toby Keith or um, you know one of those kind of ilk. Yeah, and that's, I think, even what I'm talking about. Like, Keith Urban, I don't think Keith Urban ever tries to convince us that he grew up on a farm. Ah, okay, yes, yeah. Um, but he will convince you that he fucking loves, like, hanging out on a Sunday in bed all day. Like, that is, like, that's his jam, is just, like, being married and in love. And that's fine. And I totally believe that's what he's selling. But as long as he's never, like, in a married and I go to the bull farm. Like, I just right. don't want to ever hear that he's like, I get out my lasso. Like, no, you're not Wonder Woman. Put your fucking lasso down. Yeah. He stays in his lane, but, like, we don't have enough fucking people in our car to be in that lane. Then, like, we don't even try. It's just, like, we are, we are two ships passing in the night. Yeah. This is not – this. we ain't in the hove lane. Yeah. One day we'll get to some pop country that, like, we can at least be angry about, but it's not here. Like, <laughs> I got nothing to be angry about with Keith Urban. He just very simply exists. Um, and also, apparently, the Backstreet Boys still exist. Yeah. The song Incomplete. Incomplete. 
this is pretty bleak. Um, this is one of those. So, okay, the Backstreet Boys have already faded from any, 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 any fucking, any fucking semblance of of validity. You know, in 1997, 1998, when they first appeared, um, the young women they tried to capture the hearts of were like 13, 14. Right. This is 2005. It's not the same argument. Those young girls are women. They're mm. in college and they're not interested in you. They are interested in getting coke from the nice guy <laughs> in the frat who didn't try to feel them up and evidently has reasonable coke prices and also <laughs> is going to get her the answers to the test, okay? It, she just needs help this one semester. And like, those are her concerns now. She's not worried which Backstreet Boy secretly loves blue. She's worried about whether or not she's going to be able to get her smart pills. And that's that's the problem here. The Backstreet Boys did kind of try to age. This is a little bit more of an emotionally uh, adult sound. But because they're still sort of whining about love wompy dump, it's, it's kind of like... Um, Zoe Deschanel could record an album about the Vietnam War, but as long as she still recorded it in her cutesy, dopey dope voice, I'm going to dismiss it out of hand. Yeah. Backstreet Boys, unless you guys were like, how can we make this different? I know. Let's do a song called Girl Fight with Lil Jon and Big Boy. (laughs) Unless the Backstreet Boys did that, they weren't going to be able to really become something new. I, I... The cyclical nature of comics, unfortunately, does not allow any property to ever breathe. One of the biggest problems in comics is that um, every five to ten years, the last five to ten years are completely reset. I have a good buddy, Matthew Scott. He's a great guy. I love Matthew. He's awesome. And we've been talking about how a lot of what he loved the last five years at Marvel seems to be being kind of phased back out. And what's funny is I'm kind of like, (laughs) wow, kind of getting me back into comics man because about five years ago everything i liked for 10 years got phased out (laughs) so it kind of sounds like you're bringing me back pal the one thing that uh we can agree on is that it seems like no property ever has gone long enough to let the bad taste out of our mouths to get a better new idea in they just keep telling us this is going to be better but we never get a chance to feel that way the backstreet boys could not have possibly disappeared long enough if what we just said was they first appeared in like 97, 98 in a big way, right? Yes. Eight years later, in eight years, this has to be their fourth record. They could not have gone away for any more significant a period of time than like 18 months at any given clip. And, you know, Justin Timberlake and and NSYNC have transitioned into these moguls. Just, uh, Brittany and Christina and Jessica and Mandy are all starting to launch fashion lines and shoe lines. And they're on their third, fourth, and fifth records. And they're moving into marriage and their names are remaining first name ubiquitous. And the, the Backstreet Boys, most people can't even name three of them. Yeah. They're still trying to churn out music. And I think the thing I would say is Justin Timberlake just performed the halftime show and the Backstreet Boys just performed a set on the Lido deck. The Backstreet <laughs> Boys now regularly do boy band cruises around the country, well, around, yeah. around the waters. And that's that's and they just released a new single. And I'm not shitting on anyone because uh, where the fuck is my music career? But at the end of the day, the Backstreet Boys' biggest mistake was they never tried to become Backstreet Men. And I literally mean that. I know it's punny and it's cute, but they never went away long enough for us to accept them as something new. And what they were trying to stay was no longer acceptable by the standards of pop culture. But I do think that this is a very clear attempt at maturity. 
in it's lyrically it's a it's very different production wise honestly i think this song despite the fact that the backstreet boys are completely irrelevant at this point in time this to me and granted this is coming from someone who was on team in sync even probably would put some other boy bands above the backstreet boys i felt they were very uninteresting see our early episodes i think this is one of the better songs that i've heard from them so far question for uh for you jonah uh if i do some word association um, and I know we just talked about the Backstreet Boys, so like that's probably in your head. But regardless of that, if I say boy band, what is the first thing that comes to your mind in regards to a band? Boy band. The, it's pro- it has to be the Jonas Brothers because the Jonas Brothers. Oh, my God. I knew you were going to say that. I knew you were going to say that. Oh, my God. That's so relevant. That's so helpful. Oh, my God. You totally prove all our points. The Jonas Brothers were the at least first boy band for my generation that were well known amongst peers. Like, it, it, and again... It goes back full circle. They were pushed by Disney. The Jonas Brothers were pushed by being pushed by Disney, marketing to my generation, where Disney was like really selling all these different TV shows and all these all these different music careers that they wanted out there. Camp Rock. And it it's it's a really like interesting shift from the late '90s, which were very boy band centric, to the early 2000s and mid 2000s, that we had basically no boy bands besides the Jonas Brothers, and even. A little bit past that, when I got into middle school, there's still the Jonas Brothers were fading out. We didn't even have there wasn't even a boy band. There wasn't a boy band in between my like middle school years. One Direction. And the closest thing we had to it was very early Justin Bieber. Mm. When did uh, One Direction come into? Not until like mid high school for me. For me. Oh wow. So One Direction's even after that then. Yeah, One Direction didn't, wasn't for a while, and even then, like even if I think about it now. There, I don't think there's a boy band besides maybe Five Seconds of Summer, but I've never listened to any one of their songs, so I can't even comment on it. Oh, they're a boy band? No idea. And uh, just to, to clarify for me, and I guess some, some people in the audience probably, I guess Nico is maybe the person to ask this. Um, maybe you have an answer to Jonah. Jonas Brothers musically, more like more in like the Hanson mold of boy band than like a Backstreet Boys mold of, Han- of boy bands? Uh, Hanson in terms of play their own instruments, but the thing that uh, the the thing that the Jonas Brothers had that kind of like no one had before them was they knew how to make it cool. Like, okay. I'm, like the Jonas Brothers, like, I mean, they're still kind of silly and they still covered Kids in America as I think like Kids of the Future or something. Mm, something and like it's that. Still, it's still, you know, the Joe Bros, but like, uh, Disney went out of their way to produce the Jonas Brothers in a very post-tweens control the money generation. They were engineered to sound a way that did not make the parents want to beat their heads against a rock. Where a lot of the music of the boy bands of our generation was just just designed to be like catchy and work for kids and the parents tolerated in the background. Uh, Disney took lessons from the nows and they made it kid-friendly versions of adult music by children. And okay. the Jonas Brothers okay. were designed to be able to work on PLJ so that if the parents had to switch the Jonas Brothers on, they wouldn't notice the change. Okay, cool. Um, that oddly makes me more interested in seeing when they come up on this show. Because um, as much as I understand that, I can't really hear it in my head. Um, so I'm, I'm, super into, uh, I'm super into seeing if, if what I'm assuming it sounds like um, is going to be correct. If Hanson um, sang original Kids Bop. Yeah, pretty much. Three Doors Down and Reliant K are two bands I have very little to say about. Three Doors Down is another band that has showed up here so much that you would think that people gave a shit about them. Uh, spoilers, they never did and never will. 
hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm going to quote you. Uh, the last we discussed them, I believe you referred to them as MAGA chuds. Yes. I do not believe I'm going to be issuing any kind of correction. <laughs> Good. But three doors down, while not popular necessarily, like hugely on the coasts, were a strong enough sales force that they were the sort of like we give in to middle America wanting like white people rock on the radio up till this point, really. Um, the last time I can think like here without you by three doors down, which was a mega hit. Oh, at this time they had, well, before this, they had hits. Yes. Before this, they had, they're like three hits. They had kryptonite, which probably still gets used in some shitty movies, uh, here without you. And some other weepy acoustic one that we did. Kind of like Nickelback. They had a bunch of hits at the time, but like they still, they were definitely pulled off the state fair circus to play fucking Dildo's uh, inauguration. Oh, for sure. Oh, no, no. I wasn't like, I'm not saying that they were, they're still famous, but uh, this is, uh, they, they, they still were kind of relevant here. Definitely on the decline though. We're talking, we're talking an album without any of those songs that we were referencing, but I still don't think that they are the kind of band that um, has any lasting cultural relevance like we could have stopped talking about these guys a long time ago and it probably would have done them more favors in our eyes it it, it, i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna rewind and talk about the first episode where i thought it was so funny ripping into marcy playground it would be no different discussing marcy playground in a lot of ways uh three doors down did have several more songs but they are not a band of any stature by any means um sure reliant k were just another one of the let's cash in on the pop punk phase being over but we can churn it out with a boy band sound um i don't think there's much to say there uh so i guess jonah do you have any understanding of three doors down or reliant k uh no but i did listen to their songs uh three doors down three doors down was a name that i knew of previously but i've never consciously like listened to their song or like knew who they were but it was a name that was like all right i'm aware of this name i knew who they were reliant k i have no idea who they are but listening to their song, I was like, oh, this is a very classic mid-2000s song mm. of the very near end of what sounded like trying to be pop-punk, mm-hmm. but not pop-punk. And it was like, it was a really interesting song to listen to to be like, okay, this it was a very, it sounds like it should be a very typical song for that era. Someone's making money. So, yeah, it was just to make money of like, all right, this is popular right now, we can make it. And they made it. So I've talked about on the show before how like, not specifically this band. I never, I never listened to this band. But um, how pop punk was kind of my bridge between only liking radio music, discovering pop punk, and then that bridged me into like really like broadening my horizons and liking music that wasn't just hand spooned to me. Essentially, do you have any recollection of what that was for you? Where you kind of made that tradition uh, transition from only listening to the radio to discovering your own stuff? Was there like kind of a an embarrassing, I mean, not embarrassing, but like a middle ground that doesn't hold up for you these days uh, that, that you can recall? Yes, actually. And I, I know exactly who it is because I was thinking about this earlier. It didn't happen for me until much later in life because I was, when I first was able to listen to my own music and I had an iPod, uh, I had an iPod Touch third generation so that I could still slightly date myself. One of the things, because uh, I, I still only listened to music that was on the radio because that's what I was only privy to. And I was like, oh, there's only good music out there. But it wasn't until I got to high school, I was talking with my old friend Richie, and he introduced me to Lana Del Rey. And mm. Lana Del Rey was an artist that wasn't on the radio. She, was, she wasn't on the radio up until a remix of Summer, uh, Summertime Sadness. But even then, none of her songs are, are played on the radio. And I listened to her um, Born to Die Paradise Edition. 
and I fell in love with it. And then I slowly from there discovered more artists that weren't on there. And it was slowly transitioning to me finding my own music that I liked. And it wasn't always on the radio or maybe it was an artist had one song on the radio and I was like, oh great, let me look them up. And I would find an, uh, one of their older albums or an album that just came out and it slowly helped cultivate and carve the music that I listen to and like today. So for me, it was Lana Del Rey. And I think that's really interesting. Hmm. Yeah, definitely, definitely is that chamber. That chamber pop sound had really had its moment maybe five or six years ago. With um, I mean, all of these artists are still artists that are around today. But like Lana Del Rey, um, Florence and the Machine. Um, yes. Yeah, just like artists who really captured that chamber pop sound and made it really um, mainstream. For I don't know if it's quite there anymore, but I, I mean, those artists are still um, people still listen to them. So mm-hmm. definitely not as embarrassing as a say a Reliant K. But um, no, yeah. <laughs> Awesome, awesome that you remember that. Welcome back to Now and Again. We are on the B side of Now, Volume 19. And with us today, as always, my co-host, Nico Vasillo. How are you, buddy? Hey, guys, I'm doing great. Uh, you know, it's it's a fun day to be listening to another Now it kind of seems like we never run out of these fucking things. I'm at the gym, and they're advertising now 66 and now 67. Uh, the other day, Jonah and I were at the gym together, and uh, one of them came on, and he was like, are they really on that number now? And I was like, yeah, it's just, it's always fucking with us no matter where we go. This show just haunts us in our sleep. 66 and 67. Wow, I really, um, I can't imagine us getting to that without getting just exhausted and being like, well, this was a terrible experiment onto something else. Uh, but I mean, fuck, that's going to be so far away. But I guess our little peppering of fun side diversions maybe will will keep us from abandoning this altogether. And hey, let's talk about fun. I'm not a big fan of that band. Oh, you mean the concept? Oh, no, I meant we have a, I meant we have another guest host. Ah, yes. And who is that? It is me. Hello. I am back again. To finish this, I'm back. I'm better than ever. Uh, I've grown up a lot since the last podcast, and I'm ready to talk about all this music again. Awesome. Now, I actually, I have to sell Jonah out here. Uh, Jonah and I and Kevin were hanging out uh, last weekend, and uh, the, the handsome devil he is looked over at me and told me he had a confession to make. Jonah, would you like to? Would you like to clarify the slight mistruth you told on cam on uh, on audio? Not really, but I have to because I would like to be an honest person. So <laughs> last time, Chris asked me the first time that I went to discover music that was on my on my own that really wasn't on the radio. And I talked about Lana Del Rey, uh, Florence and the Machine, that kind of like indie dream pop kind of artist. Great. That's true for high school. It's technically not the truth for the first time. Oh. I was one of those people who was very much into J-pop. Hey. And I completely blocked it out of my memory. <laughs> he retconned himself like less. He retconned himself into a xenophobe. Yeah. And, so uh, what? Yeah. What J? Yeah, that, uh, what J-pop? Do you do you remember? Like um, extensively to Vocaloid and only Vocaloid. Oh wait, like uh oh fuck, like Hatsune Miku or whatever. Yes, all of them. Like every single one of them, I listened to. Like on repeat, I never understood any of the words, but I that's all I would listen to. And we didn't give anything else a shot. So you see why we had to come forward and, and clarify and contextualize. 
Oh, absolutely. Um, anyone who has ever been into J-pop or K-pop, I mean, I I will completely admit to being um, to having a little bit of uh, a toe into the J-rock world. I went to go see um, the Pillows when they played in America for the first time um, in college. They was I guess, so I guess it was like two thousand and seven or two thousand eight. Yeah, I specifically made sure I got tickets to go see them at the elect- Knitting Factory or Electric Factory. I forget which one is in New York and which one is Philly. But the New York one, because um, like, how many times you get to, can you get to see a band from from that far away uh, live? That's why I'm going to see Camp Cope next week. Because like, how many chances do you really get to go see a band from that part of the world in your like near your hometown? So I, I'm totally into. Uh, I, I get that. I get having that love of music from another place from another time. It was important that I I wanted to be. I, I you know. <sighs> I didn't shy away from the truth when the truth was ugly about baby bashing, and I wasn't going to shy away from the truth about this. I'm a journalist, and even if I love him, it's my responsibility to my listeners to bring the truth. I'm like Murphy Brown. And and I appreciate your commitment to journalism, Spider-Jerusalem. It's... I actually, in the same conversation, I taught him about Spider-Jerusalem glasses. I'm not kidding. <laughs> I do. I haven't. I haven't read uh, Transmet in a very long time. Does it hold up? It holds up better than you can imagine. W- Warren Ellis's work is Warren Ellis's work is like so significant to me in my life that um, the area that Kid Riot takes place in is called Saint Ellis because uh. he is the patron saint of comic books. And um, I think, uh, yeah, I think just about all Warren Ellis work holds up better than you think. I wonder if he's a really phenomenal. The artist. idea that like. In the long term, a politician saying bad things would bring down that politician. I wonder if that's just an antiquated idea at this point, though. I I just don't know. I just don't know, and I I just don't know. Mm, hell world, baby. But what I do know is we still have a chunk of this now to plow out, and uh, let's uh, let's let's pick me up and stop thinking about horrible orange presents. Yay! Um, let's jump right into where uh, we were. Mr. Brightside by The Killers, a song that has not left the UK top 200 since it came out. I was just about to say that only until last year it got knocked out, and it's amazing. It was ranked number 69 in 2017. Nice. How is that possible? I don't get it. It's it's a song that really holds up. Really, I think it holds up really well. I am surprised. Yeah, I, I think any song in this era, to with how easy it is to make that chart at this point, like you fucking... You get 75 views on SoundCloud and you're at like 194 or whatever, but this song is still really good and it's got a really great riff. It's produced really well. The Killers, maybe not anymore because they're a little derivative of themselves, but like they were really great songwriters for a long time and they brought a sound to that post-rock kind of style that it wasn't just crunchy syncopation like The Strokes or The Hives or... Um, Interpol or the Vines they were doing something a little bit different and they had that kind of shoegazy New Order influence in them and that set them apart from the rest of their peers 
Um, you know, and I even get that. I, I don't even argue their, their significance. I understand that this is the best version of this trope. But Mr. This could, this could just as easily be called Mr. Nice Guy. <laughs> this song is... Okay. This song is like, I'm in the friend zone and I'm getting real sad, but the song is real good, but the message is bad. And like, it's, <laughs> this song actually is so many fucking things we tear apart other songs for being. It's just dressed up in a really beautiful pop package. And it's lush. It's so lush. It's like literally, and and it's the right bits of lush. And and the, there's so many vocal motifs in it. It's actually like a really complicated song to perform. And it's a really interesting song because that chorus drops down so low to come right back up. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I think it's a good song. I think it's a great song. I think it deserved to be like the number one song of its year and remembered in the top 100 of its decade. But I think this idea that this song is 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 capable of being on the charts for like five, six, seven, ten, twelve years. Like fucking freaks me out because it is just another I'm the nice guy kind of song. And it 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 actually I not only is it just another nice guy song, it goes out of its way to sexualize the situation. He's he takes off her dress now. Like she's touching his chest, and like I understand like what he's going for, but like this really is a guy who is veering on the point of creepy. This Mister Brightside yeah. isn't a nice guy. Mister Nice Guy is literally watching these two fuck. He's literally right. being a creep, but but because he's like oh jealousy, you know. It's the price I pay, uh, Mr. Br- uh, Mr. Brightside. I'm gonna I'm gonna hang in there, and I get it. I do, and like I've been that guy, and I've written that song, and mine was not as good as theirs. It's literally the best version of its of its art, and that's true. But it's still another fucking song about incels getting angry, and like <laughs> I'm really fucking tired of it, dude. Shut the fuck up and jerk off. It's interesting because it's the killers, and I also think somebody told me is in the same category of kind of toxic masculinity in music, um, but because they're not a toxically masculine band and they play with gender ideals, we're okay with it. But no, both of these songs have an everywhere you go, I'm going to be right behind you kind of vibe, and... They are overly romanticized by a generation of men who have yet to do right by women. I don't entirely disagree with you. Um, I think that this separates itself ever so slightly from some of those pop punk songs we've actually, we will be discussing in the future and stuff we uh, definitely have not already recorded that will be coming out shortly um, about the narcissism versus misogyny pairing that kind of comes in a couple of, uh, from a couple of artists in the future. Um, I don't think this song is as angry at the female character as it is at the narrator themselves. I think it's more self-pitying than misogynist, which is a problem in and of itself, but I don't think it's quite as toxic as something by, like, Panic at the Disco or something like that. You know, I've said before that the art needs to stand on its own, I didn't 
I didn't like the song when it first came out. I didn't like Somebody Told Me when it first came out. The thing that made me click with The Killers was actually seeing the song paired with its music video. Same as Lady Gaga, actually. I didn't really get Lady Gaga for as big of a fan as her as I am. I didn't get her until I saw the video for Paparazzi paired with the song Paparazzi. And then I was like, oh, I get what she's doing. The same thing happened here. And I think it doing the, um, uh, what's that movie? Moulin Rouge thing with the video... I feel like it's a little bit hedging on what you were saying, where they kind of realized they made a, a gross song, and if they made a modern video of it, it would be gross. So they made it about a uh, a singer in a band at a um, uh, uh, yeah. What, what do you call that in Moulin Rouge? Uh, the, the, the brothel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, brothel kind of thing. Kinda... Where like. Yeah, exactly. Where, where the jealousy comes from that, and it's telling this this story from a different time. I don't think the. I don't think you can take that from the song on its own. There's nothing that keys into that or anything. But that's where I first got it. So for me, it's always a little bit tied into that, so it's more difficult for me to separate it. But yeah, I I, I don't really disagree with you. But when I see people memeing this song on Twitter or referencing it, maybe there was some... Maybe everyone else picked up on it, and it, it is a little bit of a joke, and everyone's kind of taking it a little tongue-in-cheek and accepting that it's you know a, a pop song from 2005, and there's like, yeah, okay... It, it's got issues, but we get it. You know, we've all grown a little bit since then. We're all there. Um, it's it's certainly not as vile as as some other stuff we've covered on this show. And I'm not making excuses for it. I think I'm I'm kind of explaining why I think maybe it has endured despite us growing as a culture. You know, I think it's that it's fucking catchy. That's what it is. I think we just. See, um, I think it goes a little bit past that. I think we just like how it sounds. It's got that magical 80s glow that we want things to have to like it. Uh, now, Jonah, let me ask you a question because we've talked about how you were, you know, we were at a point I very specifically, uh, and I don't I don't want to talk about people that are no longer in my life because that's a better thing for me. But um, a mutual friend of Chris and mine was pining over someone who was literally incapable of having feelings for him at this point. And he kept this song on repeat all the time oh my god oh my god holy shit yeah you're welcome wow i forgot about that yeah and um I, it literally put that in my mind and then i noticed that was the pattern every time i saw somebody with this song so so jonah what i guess what i'm getting at is people when, when, I, when this song came out for us we interacted with it in a real visceral on level way but you were not yet able to interact with it like that and you couldn't appreciate the throwback 80s nature of the sound so for you how did this song strike you in comparison to chris who's saying you know it's a really human thing we can agree that we've grown you grew up with this song already old in a matter of speaking so tell me about the song for you um this song is really interesting because i i don't think the song really hit its stride with at least my peers until around middle schoolish, and like people were talking, like people would reference it or people would sing it, and then like high school, like th this was one of the songs I remember um, on my way to prom in our limo that we rented, we were blaring this, and like we were everyone was singing to it, like everyone knew this song, so the song has been like really in the repertoire of basically everyone in my generation because it's so, I don't want to say iconic, but. I think part of what makes it what made it so catchy and popular to uh, my generation something I think about 
it's a very like it's a good song the lyrics are good everything about it is good it's produced well it sounds great but it's also just a very simple song it has basically one verse mm-hmm. and one chorus and that's about it it's repeating the same thing over and over again there isn't complexity to it that i can't sing it like i you you hear it once and you instantly know the words and a lot of the, you're right a lot of the lyrics are things that are easy to key into it's killing me like you can just anybody can shout that drunk at a bar it doesn't matter and like i guess yeah. in that regard i think that really is the magic of it this is a drunk sing-along song and i think it's so fascinating especially because at first when jonah was saying like in middle school this it, this hit a stride for i was kind of like what and then i was like no absolutely i have known all the words to paradise by the dashboard light and more than a feeling since i'm 10 it, it just repeats like there's nothing new i don't think in the second verse i think it just repeats itself again um if i'm if i'm not mistaken um and so you immediately know it it is immediately in your head also i think everybody can relate to it um i think you can project yourself onto the character of mr brightside very easily um and while and while there is that nefariousness to it that um, has kind of grown throughout the years of the the incel, the the nice guy, tip of the fedora, milady kind of thing, um, I do think anyone can see a situation that they were in in their life and just adapt it to that because the lyrics are kind of so generic and and cliche in a lot of ways that um, it can just apply to you if you wish it hard enough. I don't think you have to wish that hard. For certain, when no, I was I growing agree. up, I was a very jealous person and a very explosive person. I would not want to feel the way this song feels. The song kind of describes a very specific, unattractive situation. Yes. It, it sounds like the guy knew he never should have... Like, either... Okay, the, it started out with a kiss. How did it end like this? It was only a kiss. It was only a kiss. It can either be that it was only a kiss from her to him and that he should have known that it was no big deal and he's getting too hung up on it. Or maybe he saw the two of them kiss and he was like, no, no, it was just a kiss. It's no big deal. It's no big deal. It's no big deal. It was just a kiss. It's no big deal. It was just a kiss. It's just a kiss. And like, how did it end up like this? It was only a kiss. And um, I just think there's something ugly about the, the, the narrator in this song. I think there's something that is the start of some uglier feelings. And... I can't help but say if what Taylor Swift never said I'm a role, I'm a role model for wanting revenge. She said, you know, Taylor Swift's dead, and you know we really ripped into her for being a pretty horrible role model and for for setting an unattractive standard that really isn't such a big deal. And I just think that the eternal worship of a song that is essentially I can't stop watching the woman I want have sex with someone else, no matter how creepy and bizarre that is. Unless this is an eyes wide shut party, I don't know how he has access to watching them fuck. And that has to be something we can see. <laughs> and unless he's just imagining it, in which case I just can't look, it's killing me. Well then no, then you're not imagining it. You're 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 looking. So why are you watching them fuck? I don't know. I'm a sour puss about this song. I even love singing it when it comes on, but I do think it's a terribly troubling song. I'm not quite there with you. Um I, I get where you're coming from entirely. I I think I think that that adds to video. I think um, we we don't often talk about the videos on this show unless they're really notable. Um, I think this one does a great job of recontextualizing the song, and it, it did. I, I don't think the song would have been as, as successful without a video that does recontextualize it. But at the same time, I don't think those thoughts were there 
in 2003, 2004 when the song was being written. So now, yes, I think I think the fact that it's not being used by the incel movement today is is what's keeping me from seeing it in that way because mostly how it's being uh, seen today is like almost as a meme. Like people joke about the song. They, they really do see it as the most innocent, vapid pop um, possible that's just catchy as shit. Um, I'm glad that the incels aren't, you know, you're not getting fucking uh, people on Twitter with the handles, you know, MAGA Brightside or some trash like that. And that's that's the main thing that's keeping me from entirely agreeing is that culturally it's though you can apply it to that culturally it's not been weaponized in that way. I I and I I, I actually think that's a really good point to leave off on. And I I'm going to concede that I am reading a minority point into this. My only res- I don't I don't think it's a minority point. I think it's a it's, it's a valid point. It is a grody song. It's just not the majority. It's just not you know. Um, but. You said that those thoughts weren't there in the 2000s. They're there now. No, they were normalized in the 2000s. When this came out, this language was okay. We've kind of left a lot of the songs with this language behind, but we're holding steadfast to this one. And I just think it it just – yeah, you know, I absolutely want to concede to a – it's there, but it's not the ultimate thing that people should take from the song because I know sometimes I get kind of crotchety and I get a little bit, I'm in my, this is what I want to hear and it's my thought, but like, this actually is one of those songs that is like one of the most beloved songs like of its generation um, and I don't think that that defends it because I really like Forever by Chris Brown, but that doesn't make him a good man. Right. I I guess I just feel like I am being a little hard on this song because I'm I'm I am attacking this song as a catch-all for every song like it. Um, I think you both really make good points. Something about this song, um, at least from like my generation perspective, when we hear pop songs, at least when we're younger, we never think about the meaning of lyrics because that's not something kids think about you hear a catchy song it's stuck in your head you can give a a kid a a catchy song that has probably profanity in it they're going to sing it all day long because they don't know any better they just hear something that it's in their head and like oh i like this i'm going to sing it someone else is singing it i could sing it too but um i think you both make really good points about it is a song when you really look back on it it comes off really creepy especially for the time it is so many movies have this theme of persistence that you can get with someone if you persist and you bug and you keep at it because that's what people find attractive, which is the complete opposite case. If someone says no, it's a no. It's not your job to convince them. And you, I also think the video is really good because it's it lessens the creep factor a little bit, but like it comes off as... They had maybe one moment together, and he's obsessively staring and looking at her like she has to be his. But I, I think it's okay to see things as a product of their time and to still appreciate them now. I actually want to zoom in on something I really like that you said that I hadn't considered. This is the plot of every one of the movies from our teen years. This is the plot of just hang in there and you'll get the girl, and that's really fucking creepy and I thanks for shedding that little bit of light on it because I guess I guess basically this song is every rom-com I've ever had a problem yeah, with and, and rom-coms are creep, pretty creepy so. top to bottom I also think the killers on this album 
uh, we're kind of leaning into a little bit of um, storytelling throughout. Um, and again, that doesn't necessarily translate into how your average person will read the song, but I do think they were reading into that darkness and that creepiness that Jonah was mentioning. I mean, for example, the the, the first song off this album, Jenny Was a Friend of Mine, um, is about the preppy murders, um, the Robert Chambers murder of um, uh, Jenny Levin in New York City in 1986. Like, that is kind of a, a perfect example of, of the dark kind of coke-fueled 80s vibe that they were going for. They weren't just going for a sound. They were going for a mood, and it's a dark mood on this album that now the killers have this embody this very Vegas bright sound. They weren't doing that on Hot Fuss, and I think that is worth noting. Um, and again, I, I am going against myself here in, in some ways because I really do push for Death of the Author against Nico a lot of the times, but I think overall as an album, they were going for a darker side. And that includes Mr. Brightside, ironically. Um, and that's kind of been lost to time and the context of the album. Uh, whereas when you take it on its own, it is creepy. But I think that there was some intention there initially. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cool. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I agree. They are absolutely going for a heavy kind of creepy atmospheric vibe most times. Uh, I totally get that. Mr. Brightside, it uh, you know, it's not going away anytime soon. Coldplay, speed of sound. thing is this this will come out before our lengthy discussion on um fix you will come out but i think fix you is like the bad version of the scientist and i think this is like the bad version of clocks but those good songs were still so good the bad version of a nine is still like a six and a half yeah i agree so like it's not that great but it's coldplay kind of ripping off itself in a way that's still okay but a copy of a copy is still legible. A copy of a copy of a copy gets really blurry and ugly, so the next time they do this, it fails spectacularly. This is the last time Coldplay can kind of pull this bullshit. Yeah, I think this is an apex. I think it's this into Fix You is like this this rising action and um, coming back down, I think, is Fix You. I think that's the, the balance point. You know, this is, okay, there's one more really Coldplay song in Coldplay that we're into. Oh, nope, here's another really Coldplay song by Coldplay, and we're listening to this one. Coldplay is really interesting from how I perceive it, because Coldplay is a band, if I talk to people about it closer to my age, will always say, oh, I love Coldplay, they're so good. But it's not to uh, judge anyone who's a fan, because I think anyone, if you are a fan, you are a fan. But most people only really know what's ever played on the radio. And they're a band that I feel like had the tools to kind of break to really always kind of like have a chopped, uh, top charting single or like always have a top charting album. But they never really did. And they slowly just kind of... Um, what am I trying to say? They, they slowly just like faltered off where they're kind of just remembered fondly, but they weren't really at the time, I guess. That's what I'm trying to say. The good band just really 
weird of how my generation perceives them. Coldplay could do no wrong until just after Fix You. Fix You really was the last glowing moment of the Coldplay uh, movement. After that, they did have hits, but um, it's that there's something almost tragic about the way Fix You ends with that lights will go. Like, he, it's almost like they're saying goodbye to Coldplay. It's like the last time Coldplay is massively relevant. Yes, you put it well. Massively relevant is what I, I was trying to get at, but I couldn't say. And, I mean, I I kind of liked X and Y at the time. Yeah, and I but looking that. at this this track listing now, I, I can't remember a single song off of it other than these two and Talk, which they, I, they got sued for um, ripping off of... I can't, I can't remember who they got sued for ripping off the riff on... Um, but they had to give somebody else the credit. For, oh, Kraftwerk. Yeah, they had to give Kraftwerk the, the credit for that song because they straight up ripped the riff off of Time Was Not So Kind to Coldplay and Chris Martin. But those first two records are, are such solid A-pluses. Yeah, those I do remember like, stuff off of, so there you go. Parachutes is perfection even where it's weak, and A Rush of Blood to the Head is excellent even where it's not. So, like, I guess we just don't have as much to say about Speed of Sound as we expected we would. I think... I think Coldplay Coldplay has one more appearance on a now. That'll be now number 20. And then they don't appear again until now 57. And to close out this now, uh, it's a cartoon band. Gorillas Feel Good Inc. I think this song is cute, but I put this song in the same category I put Foster the People's Pumped Up Kicks. I'm like the one person who's like, yeah, I give this song like a seven. Everybody else gives this song a hundred and six. So like, I think you boys should run this topic. We talked about songs that I really remember. This is the song I can always remember from my childhood. Me watching this music video so often, I was like just so fascinated. Well, because I was a kid and it was a cartoon. I'm like, oh, cartoon. I want to watch this. And I absolutely loved it. And I think Gorillas are a really interesting band that found success without ever really having to show themselves besides doing live shows. Being a whole cartoon band is really interesting. And it's a weird concept that somehow worked for them. And I, uh, I really do like it. It's They have a really interesting sound compared to most artists where it's a lot of blended mixes of different genres where oftentimes their songs will have a rap in it but it'll also still just be really catchy and stuff that people will enjoy fondly and, and I my love favorite that. thing about uh gorillas right now is if you don't really keep up because they have a storyline with their cartoon characters uh one of the replacement band members for right now is Ace from the Gang Green Gang of Powerpuff Girls because canonically Gorillaz takes place in Powerpuff Girls. Sure. Um, okay. I think something you said that's really interesting is it's a context that uh, you would organically lack. Just having, I guess, not grown up in 1995, 1996, part of why the Gorillaz are an animated band is because their lead singer was um, like one of the most recognizable people in all of Britain and wanted to do a different project. He wanted to do something that wasn't blur. So he created this artifice. 
this this protective way to be someone different. And I think he keyed into something that was uh, really cresting a wave at that point. Um, we're talking about 2000 and, I mean, right now we're talking about 2005 with Feel Good Inc., but Clint Eastwood and the, the kind of the coming out of the gorillas, 2002, and that's really a time when um, the West was getting into Miyazaki. And I think that's really notable because I think he he jumped on something that was um, relevant with uh, Howl's Moving Castle and um, Spirited Away and those being the, the first major Miyazaki films um, right after Princess Mononoke that were really, really, really qu- um, getting big in, in the West. So he, he saw that anime boom kind of... Um, it, it, it had been rumbling in kind of the underground and was hitting its peak right around now. And he, he jumped on that at the perfect time. And I do think... Um, I do think image is important when talking about pop music and he nailed something that nobody else nailed and nobody ever will nail again because that moment is past. I agree. I also think it, we were at the stage where we were constantly being told that the digital is the next thing. Digital is all there is. We will all be digital, digital, digital. Everyone's going to be a download. This idea of digital characters as the performers, um, was kind of elusive, kind of something that's hard to hold on to. And um, the fact that he was able to to be part of it as it was happening. You know, this isn't this isn't somebody writing a TV show where they're like, oh, yeah, this person was um, an animated character. This is they actually did the thing. This was the kind of thing that you joke about in a TV show mm-hmm. and this band actually fucking did it. I think the gorillas, though, are in many ways much more performance than substance and much more art than musical artists. And that is why the gorillas have never had a fucking normal song and never need a normal song to remain the gorillas. I think for a long time they even performed behind um, a screen with just their, yeah. their the animation playing. I think that changed sometime in the early 2000s. Uh, tens. I don't. I don't know what we call this decade anymore. Um, the fucking hell world decade. I think it's <laughs> that changed in the early part of that. Uh, but yeah, they really, they really leaned into that for a while. And I, I do like that every song of theirs is, is a little different. Um, the ones that were the biggest um, kind of sound similar. Clint Eastwood and Feel Good Inc. But Dare is is very different sounding from that stuff off of Plastic Beats. Their next album sounds very different to that. Uh, them not being as financially successful. Yeah, I think, yeah, and I don't think it's a surprise the ones that sound exactly the same are the ones that got big. Uh, so uh, Damon Albarn is a, is a great songwriter. I don't think he'll ever make a, an outright bad album, whether it's as Gorillaz or uh, Blur or Good, the Bad, and the Queen or whatever he is doing today. Yeah, so it's always going to be a consistent act. And sometimes that's, especially with how disposable music can be today, Sometimes that is a a trait that we overlook. Yeah, I, I think I completely agree with you. I have listened to a little bit of the new album because uh, my coworker that drives me to work every day, uh, he's going to their concert in DC. I think like next month, so mm-hmm. uh, he's been prepping by listening to the album. And it's pretty good albums from the songs I just remember. It's pretty good. But I think you make a really good point that whenever they come out with a song, a new album, it's always consistent. And it's always good. And sometimes that's great because you always want to make good music. 
but sometimes good isn't good enough. Sometimes you do need to kind of do an unexpected twist and on something to make you stand out. And not that the gorillas can't stand out, it's just always the same kind of almost bordering on tepid feeling of, okay, this is good, I can listen to it, but that's about it. And you also do make a good point about how disposable it is, is I think it's good, but not enough that people would kind of want to pay for it, that they would kind of just stream it illegally if they could. And when, when this song and Clint Eastwood were charting, there was nothing that sounded like it. And there's still nothing that really sounds like gorillas. But these days, I think with the internet and just the changing tide of how we consume media, I, I don't think anyone is trying that hard to get gorillas played on the radio anymore. I don't think the publicists behind... Uh, you know who Albarn are hiring or whatever how that works at whatever um, I don't think they're pushing to get them on the radio I think they have their fans already and I think they're making music for their fans now and those fans will always be there and I know what you're trying to say that it's a safe thing for gorillas they're, they've settled into that and that's fine they're they're a staple at this point which means they can be a little bit more experimental and it's 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 weird that this band that was so different and so sub not subversive, but um, I guess experimental is the best word that I can think of right now, even though that's probably not correct. They're in a safe place, which is real weird to me. It's like they've got this this core, and that's that's it for gorillas. They're, they're they don't have to aspire for much anymore. Yeah, they get to just be famous for being who they are. <laughs> abandoned our games on this show there's no more rap genius um no more wiki wiki wawapedia that much but i'm told with you with your unfailing love of game shows you've created a game i have i have i have i have um so uh, one of the big things that we've been doing the last couple of months is we've been saying goodbye to uh the boy bands and the girl groups the the pop princesses and the uh the young men who serenade for in favor of a new wave that are a little bit more R&B influenced, uh, a little less, you know, flower white, and a little bit more brave. Since we're saying goodbye to so many people, uh, I put together a, a quick little game that we're going to play. I have found some really ridiculous song titles one way or another um, by some of our favorite pop princesses and boy bands. And uh, we're going to have you boys guess who some of these stupid fucking titles are by. None of this is about expecting you to recognize. A lot of it is about forcing you to think, God damn it, who was in charge of these people's career. <laughs> so first up, we have a pop princess song. Okay. Who do you believe the woman in me is by? Ariana Grande. Oh, no, no. Honey. Oh, you're so cute, and I love you so much, and you're amazing. So this is all going to be from during the pop princess heyday. Okay. So we'll be looking at Brittany, Christina, Jessica, and Mandy for our pop princesses. Okay. Normally, I would edit that, but that is such a perfect encapsulation of the, the generational divide. 
of what we wanted out of this show. <laughs> exactly. That's literally why we wanted you here. Um, because that's the kind of uh, like thinking that's different, that that's what we're looking for. So the woman in me, Brittany, Christina, Jessica, or Mandy. Oh man, that, so I'm going to say that's can't be Mandy. I'm going to guess it's, oh man, I'm going to guess it's Christina, but I think it might be Brittany. I'm going to guess Christina locked in. Oh, that was my guess too, is Christina. That's fine. It is Jessica Simpson. Okay. Really? All right. Featuring Destiny's Child from her debut album, Sweet Kisses. What the fuck? Okay, let's move on to a boy band song. Okay, this is gonna this is gonna be tough. Oh, it sure is. Which boy band, Backstreet Boys, and Sync, Ninety Eight Degrees, or O Town, performed "Giddy Up"? Oh, Jesus. I'm going to say O-Town. I'm going to guess NSYNC. Giddy Up is by NSYNC. The score is one. Jonah, Chris, you're trailing on your own show, ah. buddy. NSYNC <laughs> sang a song called Giddy Up. Wow, okay. And it's like, it's on their first album, and it's so goddamn sexual, it's insane. See, that Try is to why... get a hold of you. Yeah, it's nuts. It's nuts. The, it's the sexuality of the phrase Giddy Up is why I went with O-Town. O-Town sang the song about coming in your sleep. So I figured the most the most sexual song might be from them, but I you know I guess I just I all of them proved that they had penises at some point I suppose. Well, let's 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 take this to a different place. Let's discuss the women and their sexuality. Which woman, Brittany, Christina, Jessica, or Mandy, sang "Sex for Breakfast"? Oh, fucking Jesus. <laughs> Hmm. <laughs> Sex for breakfast. Can I return it? Is that a breakfast I can return? No. The, uh, ma'am, this is cold. Please take this back. I'll just take a grand slam. Thank you very much. Oh, God. <laughs> Gentlemen, your vote's on sex for breakfast. Oh, Jesus. Fuck. Okay. I'm going to guess Mandy. You know, I like that as an outside guess because eventually she got like oddly sexual once she was past like the I'm I'm a baby stage. Uh, <laughs> but in the interest of like the game, I'm going to say that's God, I want to guess Mandy, but in the interest of the game, I'm going to say that's Christina. That's 1-1, one, one. Chris. That was Christina Aguilera's Sex for Breakfast. Ah, oh, jeez. I need to listen to that <laughs> oh. song. It sounds um, okay. Real so <laughs> it's 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 one of the worst things I've ever heard. Um, so that's one one with the the house getting one as well. Never bet against the house. Okay. So let's let's take it back a little bit. Let's go a little bit obscure. Which male artist, Backstreet Boys and Sync, Ninety Eight Degrees or O Town, released a song called Sun Dreams? On a special edition re-release in Japan. Okay. So here's my thinking here. I like the idea in my head that Sun Dreams is like a B-side acoustic version of Liquid Dreams. But I'm not going to go with O-Town. I'm going to go... I'm going to trust my gut, even though my gut has shit for brains. I'm going to say 98 Degrees. Because I feel like if any band was big in Japan, 
It's still O-Town and 98 Degrees. But I'm, I, I don't know. My gut's telling me 98 Degrees. How about you, Jono? Okay. Now, I have to think about this because, to be honest, I only know Backstreet Boys and NSYNC. I don't know O-Town or 98 Degrees. But I'm going to guess O-Town. Sun Dreams was a bonus track on the debut album of NSYNC. Wow. This was not one of the original European tracks, but rather a song that was re-recorded for a Japanese pressing. So it... Jeez. Um... So, albums in Japan actually cost a lot more money than they do in America, which is why if you've ever seen a Japanese release from a band that you like and it has, like, five more tracks on it, almost all of them being B-sides that just get stapled onto the end, um, that is usually why. That's really good to know that that's why that's what Mm -hmm. it is. Okay, boys, we've got four down. You each have one right. Uh, Nobody got two of them, and we have six to go. Oh, boy. Uh, which Pop Chantouse sang I'm So Curious. Let me add, this was the first song this artist co-wrote. And when it was turned into the label for their debut album, it was deemed so stupid, it was exclusively included on a German version of a single. What was the name of the song again? I'm So Curious. Jonah, go ahead. Take take the first guess here. Okay, hold on. I, I have to really think about this for a second. It's called Oh Curious? Just making sure. I'm I'm so curious. Oh, I'm so curious. I'm so curious as to who actually wrote this song. <laughs> exactly. This is so hard. And I'm going to say it's Britney. I like that guess. Jonah and I are at least on the same like gut reaction level here. Um... You, you did say which Chanteuse, which, you know, makes me think of the most elusive Chanteuse, Mariah Carey, but I know that that's not an option. Therefore, I'm going to go with... Hey, God, this is, this is so impossibly stupid. <laughs> it blows my mind. Please put together a playlist of all these fucking stupid songs. I genuinely want to hear all of them. Um, I'm going to... I mean, you probably can't even find these songs. I'm going to say... I just None of these have made me think... Oh, of, no, I have all of them. None of these... I have heard every one of the songs we are doing. None of these have, have jumped out. They're so dumb that I think they can't be Britney and Christina because Britney and Christina are so carefully cultivated, but that's clearly not correct. Um, but still, I'm going to follow my dumb, stupid gut here, and I'm going to say that this is... This is Jessica Simpson pawing at a little a bug, much like a cat does, without knowing its own strength, and then just, like, breaking it like Lenny and of Mice and Men. That's final answer of Brittany for Jono and... Uh, Jessica. Jessica uh-huh. for Chris? Yeah. That would be Britney Spears's first ever songwriting credit on the Sometimes single from Germany. Oh, goodness, Brittany. Congrats. Oh, no. Oops, she did it again. Oh, <laughs> she certainly did. Uh, so let's switch over to uh, some boy bands. And I want you guys to tell me which boy band was daring enough to let their audience know that even a man can be, as the song is called, sensitive. Okay, I'm going to jump in here. I think there's only two bands that this can be, and I think it's Backstreet Boys and 98 Degrees. And 
It's a coin flip. I'm going to lean into Backstreet Boys on this one. There is no logic, but I'm trying to logic it anyway, because that's my M.O. And I, I'm going to take a stab in the dark and say O-Town. It is O-Town! Holy shit! <laughs> a man just, is not just, supposed to be sensitive. Just bet on black on this game. It's just All right, like, we have... There's, there's we no... Have, there's nothing you can do. It's like roulette. It's like when people are like, if I put it on these four numbers, because these four numbers have not come up in the last six times that the the wheel has spun. Like, just don't do it. Just, just fucking put it all on black and roll in this game. <laughs> it, we have done six. Chris, you have one. Jonah, you have three. And the house has two. Uh, <laughs> let's take another foray into the, the world of the women and the music they make for us. And I would like you to tell me which female singer performed... Email my heart. Easy. Mandy. Has to be. I'm I'm going to accept the fact that for the game I should pick something different because it would give me points and maybe get me back in it, but this just feels like straight up Mandy to me, I agree. As Kevo said in the background, Kevy, since you're eavesdropping, who sang Email My Heart? It's Britney, bitch. It's Britney, bitch. Uh, Email My Heart was included on her debut album, but I'm So Curious was too stupid. <laughs> oh, my God. I hate this game. <laughs> I want to flip the board. Like, well, let's like, take it. Like, it's like someone convinced me to play Monopoly, and, like, like my gut's like, yeah, I guess I'll play Monopoly. And then 15 minutes in, I'm just like, fuck this stupid game. I feel like that's where I'm at right now. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> So, which gentleman group recorded a song about how their moms are the perfect fan? Literally, the song is called The Perfect Fan, and the lyrics are, Mom, you always were the perfect fan. I think I know this one. So, Joni, you can piggyback off this, because I, I do think, I could be wrong, but I think I know that this is in sync. I don't know why I think I know this is in sync, but I think I know this is in sync. Okay. I'm going to have to disagree with you. Oh. And I'm going to guess Backstreet Boys. It is, in because fact, the, the back... No! It is the Backstreet Boys. No! <laughs> it's the closing track on Millennium. Oh, my God. Fuck me. You know what? I feel like the loser of this game okay. is the real winner, to be honest with you. Oh, 100%. I have added two more, by the way, uh, from my list of extras, because this is going so well. I'm having such a good time. We're going for 12, <laughs> oh, not 10. No. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah, <laughs> I love how high his voice went there. Oh my god. Okay. Um, okay, everybody. Let's uh, let's switch things up a little bit. Can somebody please tell me? And if you're a, a hardcore fan of the show, this has definitely been mentioned on the show. Can somebody please tell me which female singer performs "Not Too Young"? Okay. <sighs> this has to be a trick. It's it's so obviously Mandy that it has to be a trick. But I'm gonna I'm gonna accept my my not knowing a goddamn thing, fate, and just go with Mandy. Now, also part of this game is how well do I know Nico and how often would he put someone's song in it and not someone else? So far, we haven't had a Mandy song. We've had everyone else here. And I'm also trying to think, who was young during this time? Uh, I'm going to say Jessica. So that's a Jessica from Jono and a Mandy from Chris. Mm Mm-hmm. That is a point to Chris. Oh, yay. Okay. 
We have three songs remaining. Chris, if you get all three right and Jonah gets none right, you win. Yay. (laughs) Of course, if you both get all three wrong, I win. (laughs) So no matter who wins, we all lost. It's like Alien versus Predator. There's no winners in this game. Which boy band had a song called Heat It Up? Heat Um, It Up. I mean... Wouldn't it be on brand for 98 Degrees to have a song called Heat It Up? I'm going to go with that because it's just that stupid. Uh, I'm going to agree. I also think it's 98 Degrees. Your name is 98 Degrees. You can't tell me there's not a song you make referencing temperature at all. As a matter of fact, the lyrics are, Baby, let me love you to the 98th (laughs) degree. It's pretty bad. Okay, guys, it's three to five, uh, with Nico only having banked three at this point. Went very downhill for me very quickly. Which... Pop Princess recorded When You Put Your Hands on Me for their debut album while underage. Oh. Please note all of them were underage while recording their debut albums. Oh boy. Um Okay, so I like what Jonah was doing there with also trying to play Nico, which I didn't think about until now. Uh, I don't <laughs> I don't think he would put the same artist back-to-back, so I'm going to cross off Mandy here. I think that's a little too racy for Jessica. I think it's just right enough for debut. Debut album is the hint here, I think. Um, And Christina's debut album had stuff like Come On Over Baby, which is, like, vaguely alluding to the idea of sex, but without saying it. So I feel like that's pretty in line with this. So I'm going to go with this being an ex-Tina song. I'm going to full-heartedly agree. This is my... That has to be my girl, X-Tina. That has to be. This is bullshit. You're you're playing the numbers that you can't lose, and I appreciate that, and I like your gamesmanship, sir. No, but I was also... I was going to say X-Tina before no, you said it. It's it's good. It's good strategy, and I, I, can't, I can't deny it. Neither <laughs> of you should be calling her X-Tina. Don't encourage it. Don't tell her that's okay. Secondly, you're both correct. Yay. Now, Friendship now, is magic at this point, show. at this friendship is magic. At this point, everybody's a winner. Chris, you have four correct. Jonah, you have six correct, and nobody got three of them. So no matter who gets this last one, everybody's already lost. But <laughs> which which group of gentlemen wrote a song about their inability? Well, didn't write a song for God's sakes. Performed a song about their inability to control the thoughts of their brain, and that they think about sex as the song is titled. Every six seconds. The same guys who wrote the song about coming in their sleep. It's got to be O-Town here. Jonah? <sighs> I mean, does the O in O-Town stand for orgasm? <laughs> it stands for Orlando, but I really like your perspective. Well, you keep telling me that they wrote a song about coming in their sleep. I mean, you you can't not tell me the name isn't Orgasm Town. <laughs> so is it your is vote O-Town. also O-Town? Congratulations, boys. It was O-Town. Hell yeah. Every six See? seconds, my body starts wrecking your sweet... Th- Wait, every six seconds, my body starts begging. Your sweet thing is wrecking me until you give me some. Ten times a minute, 600 times an hour, another cold shower. Until you give me some. Hell yeah. Uh, you know what? Teamwork makes the dream work, and together we beat the Nicopedia, and even Ken Jennings couldn't beat the computer, so I feel like uh, we've all we've all won today. Guys, this was my favorite ending to any now. Thank you guys so much for humoring me on horrible song title bingo. Thank you for doing some abominable research. (laughs) 
I do what I can. Oh, does that does that bring us to the close of now nineteen with our first guest star in quite a while? It, I think it does. And and gentlemen, where can people find the both of you? Uh, you can find me as always at Nico Vasillo on Instagram. That's N I C O V A S I L O on Instagram. I probably should change it to a name that's easier to say, like Dog Butt. And if I could just get <laughs> Dog Butt, I can be like, Oh, I'm Dog Butt on Instagram. And everyone would be like, Why? And I'd be like, You can find it. Um, you can also find my music over at facebook.com slash action duo. And if you want to check out some kick-ass, diverse, inclusive comics, uh, over 600 pages available for free, you can check out kidriotcomics.com, uh, for all things super cool and Nico. Hey, Jono, where can people find you? Uh, nowhere. I am, I am the elusive Sean Truce that you're all been looking for. <laughs> oh my God. It explains so much. Uh, don't find me at Chris Podcasts on Twitter cause I'm pretty much just a troll and I pretty much just retweet Cage Club saying how great our shows are and they should listen to them um if you pay attention to me doing anything else it's me saying really trolly baity shit like girls on twitch are braver than the troops um just to get chuds mad on twitter uh, so don't follow me on twitter or definitely do i don't care uh other than that cageclub.me um especially the new season of cinemakers where i believe that is dropping very soonish if not like today ish uh, where I am talking Christopher Nolan with Joey and Mike, and it is some really great, pretty dang serious conversation, which you might not expect from me. Um, if you like Now and Again, write into the mailbag, nowandagaincast at gmail.com. Send us some extremely dumb song titles and make us guess who it is, or you know any question that you want, we will talk about it and interact with you, because we're so, so lonely. And... Yeah, please remember to write into Cage Club requesting that I am on every episode of Three's a Charm that I requested. You might even be wondering why this is like a, a, a mission of mine. Um, it's sort of because uh, I find the two times I talk about movies just to be two of the funniest things that have ever happened to me in my life. I sound like such an idiot talking about movies. I just need to be on all of them. I, I want to take this network by storm. I want to be on. I want to be on more podcasts than Nicolas Cage. Give us an awesome review at. Uh, wherever you get your podcasts, iTunes, send us to the the top of the charts. I mean, frankly, if we if we broke a hundred, we would be thrilled. And I do a fun touchdown dance. Um, other than that, and guys, we can finally put a stop to the yes, baby bashing. The baby bashing will only stop. It's like Tinkerbell. Like you have to acknowledge it for it, for it to stop. Like if you don't acknowledge it, babies will still be bashed. The day we get a Patreon. And the day it hits 100 a month, I will never bring up the baby bashing bit ever again. <laughs> that is my promise to you. Yes. If you guys want to stop fucking hearing it, pledge $100 to the Patreon that doesn't exist and we'll talk. Patreon.com slash we don't have a Patreon. Jono, thanks so much for being here, buddy. Thank you guys for having me. Yeah, this was great. Thank you for making us feel old as shit, but still somehow guessing all of the boy band and girl band stuff right. <sighs> I picked a good one. I'm actually kind of like it's kind of funny like I feel weird signing off from 19 because 20 is such a huge deal 20 is a 20 is the now that changes everything yeah when you want to see us shift the paradigm with now volume 20 we'll catch you on the flip side Now he takes off her dress 